Grab your coffee. It's time for an episode of Chit Chat with the Queer and Creative. I'm your host, Melissa Da Silva. Hello, Chit Chatters. I hope you are all doing well, and I hope that you're starting to feel safe and comfortable enough to start emerging from our COVID hibernation. COVID has been a very traumatic and difficult experience for many individuals. We all dealt with this the best we knew how. Some binge ate food and binge watched lots of Netflix. Some use this time to strengthen relationships and enjoy family. I also know that at times like this, it can be an opportunity for people to start to feel inspired creatively. We practically lived through the closest thing that we will ever have to a zombie apocalypse. And I am sure there is going to be a bunch of stories based on this because it's kind of inspired by reality at this point in time. I know that this has been the case for today's guest. She hasn't written her end of day story yet, but she has written several books inspired by her past life experience. Now, the fun part is trying to figure out what parts of her books are her reality. My guest, Darylise Lyons, has been telling stories since she was a child. She has taken this talent and is now a transformational storyteller. But she's not just that. She's also a coach, a yogi, and an actress. So I hope you enjoy listening to my interview today with Darylise Lyons. Well, Chit Chatters, I'm so excited today because I have a wonderful guest, an amazing writer, Darylise Lyons. Now, I have started reading one of your books, and I am just so entertained by the characters that you have created. So before we get into that, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. It's really great to be joining you today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I just get excited about other creatives, and that's why I always like to like really jump into it. So you write a mixture of, it seems like, fiction and nonfiction books. I do, yeah. I've written across the spectrum from fiction to nonfiction uh, in terms of books, and but then I also write articles and do journalism work and produce like, you know, audio journalistic pieces. So I, there's a spectrum. I, I write children's books. I do screenplays. So I've written across the gamut and it's so much fun. I feel like, uh, you know, if you get bored with one genre, there's another genre and another. So it's really, really exciting for me and fruitful and allows a lot of variety and, and flexibility and diversity. So I, I really appreciate being able to kind of do multiple things within the space of being a writer and a creative. And so where do you get the ideas for these fiction books? I always wonder that because it's like these stories. I think people always wonder, like, did the author live some of this story or is it just completely out of nowhere? Where do you get these stories from? So it's different for every book, but you mentioned Yoga Cocaine, which is one of my more recent novels. And that's loosely based on aspects of my own experience. I am not in recovery from drug addiction, but I am in recovery from anorexia and bulimia. And so, you know, I have the experience of really like being addicted to something and struggling with that. And some of the experiences that happen in the book, spoiler alert, you'll have to read it to, to figure out which ones, but some of them have actually happened to me or I've participated in those. So there's like a little bit of kind of nonfiction sprinkled throughout. 
But some of my other books, you know, are entirely fictional and made up. And, you know, those inspiration can come from anywhere. Often it'll come from a hypothetical question that I'll ask myself, like, ooh, what if I were in this situation? And then I get so excited about that hypothetical question that I'll spend, you know, three to six months exploring it by writing a novel about it. So, oh my goodness. (laughs) Now, I have started writing stories in the past, I have notebooks full of partial stories. How do you get yourself to complete one of those stories? Well, it helps that I'm a little bit neurotic. So I have a lot of trouble leaving things undone. It's actually funny. My friends and family make fun of me because like as a writer of full length novels or, or nonfiction books, right? Like it takes a lot of time to complete but I always feel restless until I complete a project. So I'm basically signing up to be restless for like three months to a year all the time. And I've published uh, 20 books now and counting. So I've just like give myself a perpetual anxiety attack. But I'll say that for me, it's kind of, I have the opposite challenge, which is what do I do? And this has happened to me before when I start writing a project, I like, realize that I'm not going to be able to do it justice or I'm not as excited about it as I thought I was. And it's really, really hard for me to kind of pull myself away from that and say, you know what, I'm just not going to finish this. Like this just, I just need to put it to bed. But the opposite, like I I kind of have to really restrain myself from like trying to work 12 hour days to finish something. Like it's humanly impossible. But your question, I feel like you asked me about my experience partly because you wanted to like, you know, work on ways to to complete things yourself. And I think when I'm working with my writing clients and coaching them, something that I really focus on is that writing is a discipline. And I think people often think that creativity in any form, like we're supposed to be inspired to do it. And my experience is not that. So I I think everyone can have different disciplines in terms of how frequently they write or when they, they work. I think that needs to be very individual. But I do find that when people have a regular discipline of writing, projects kind of, they end up complete almost in spite of our best efforts to self-sabotage, right? Because we are creating that space and time to, to work on something and eventually it gets done. Nice. Now, one of your nonfiction books that you're working, what you just published was Demystifying Diversity. Yeah, it's Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And it's based on, I interviewed 128 people in order to write the book. And it's, it incorporates a lot of different voices and, um, and personal experiences. You know, it's really an invitation for people to look at their own biases, their own walls, and really, you know, engage with other human beings and see the value and the richness that comes from, um, you know, from people from all stratospheres of life and all levels of experience and to really be able to kind of melt away some of those prejudices and, and find love of others. But I think it also ultimately becomes a self-loving act, right? If we can really learn to embrace other people. And there's also a workbook that you created with it? Yeah, there's a workbook. My business partner and I have a podcast that we've created called the Demystifying Diversity Podcast, which incorporates those voices live. So like people can actually listen to the Demystifying Diversity Podcast 
and hear the people telling their own stories. You know, in, in the book, I, I quote people and I have permission to, to use some of those narratives, but I love the podcast because you get to really hear from people in their own words, in their own voice, what they've been through. And yeah, so that's been a labor of love for me, the book and, and the podcast and and the workbook so that people don't just get the information, but they really are able to apply some critical life skills and, and to learn and, and to grow. So that's been a really, really fun, challenging <laughs> project, but it, it, it's been great. And where do you find your guest for the stories? Yeah, that's a great question. So for season one of the podcast, we did 10 episodes on a variety of topics pertaining to diversity. And so like, for example, I'm biracial. I know your listeners can't see me, but I'm biracial. Um, My dad's black. My mom is white. And so we did one episode and my business partner is biracial as well. And so we did one episode on biracial identity. We did another episode on black and blue that really highlighted, you know, what it is to be a police officer of color and also looked at the incarceration, disproportionate incarceration rates for black people, people of color. And and really that episode, we'd already been working on these things prior to George Floyd being murdered and prior to a lot of increasing awareness of the disparities in, in, you know, inequity and access. And so, um, yeah, like that, that's one episode. We did an episode on Latinx immigration, on LGBTQ identity. I mean, there is, so some of it has been, you know, just me utilizing some of the resources and the sources that I already had as a journalist working in various spaces and reaching out to those people and saying, Hey, you know, would you be willing to go on record with this? And then, um, some of it has been one of the joys of um, of journalism is that I'll interview one person and they'll say, you know, you really should talk to so-and-so about this topic. So season one and the book were pretty much, you know, just me and my business partner going out and finding incredible people to talk to. And often it was very surprising that like the head of care was willing to speak to me and, you know, the CEO of uh, the Association for Adults with Developmental Disabilities and a senator spoke with me. Like, I was so surprised that these amazing people would talk to me. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was so cool. But in season two, though, I will say we are getting more people reaching out to us because now that we have that, you know, track record, it's, it's a little bit easier in terms of doing that legwork of getting guests. But yeah, it's, it's been a really fun process. And now one of the things that you do identify as is also bisexual. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I always say that the B is the one that's forgotten in the LGBTQ acronym. And it's often, I think, misunderstood as well, um, especially when I was married to a man and I would identify as bisexual that would just blow people's minds for some reason. How does that happen? Tell me a little bit. How has your experience been? Yeah, my experience has been very interesting. I'm so glad that you brought that up about, you know, when you were married to a man that people would kind of be confused about that. Because my experience is is that in my professional life, I'm very open about my identity and and sort of professionally, it's always served me because I guess people feel like, oh, cool. Like maybe you have a different breadth of experience or you can speak to different issues. So I, I feel like professionally, it's always been sort of more of an asset, but in my personal life, it's been 
fairly challenging because I found that within the LGBTQ community, sometimes I don't know why, but I've spoken to some of my other bisexual friends about this. And and a lot of the general consensus seems to be that sometimes it almost feels like we have to hide like our past history of dating men or current history of, of being with male partners or something within the LGBTQ community, which I don't fully understand. But then also sometimes even in my dating relationships, like if I've been in relationships with women, it's felt threatening somehow to them that I'm bisexual. Or if I've been in relationships with men, it's somehow like they've somehow minimized that I've also had a dating history and a rich romantic history with women. So I feel like professionally, it doesn't tend to come up very much as a negative and it's fine. And it's like sort of always something that I talk about and I'm very open with, but in my personal life, it's weird. I don't know. How is it for you? It tends to be like that as well. It's like, yes, this hiding of past relationships, absolutely a hundred percent. And then, you know, being out in the dating world now, now that I'm uncoupled, it's weird because some people will be like, oh, so you're just trying to double down on your chances. And I had this one guy that like the first conversation was just like, oh, well, uh, bisexual men is not really a thing. And one third of women are flexible. And I was like, delete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so, it's so strange. And there, there does seem to be like a, a common misconception, right? That if you're bisexual, you're somehow automatically polyamorous or yes. somehow like there's some, and, and there are some bisexual people who are polyamorous. There are some, um, you know, heterosexual couples who are, who are polyamorous. Like if the two of them are not at all interrelated or interconnected, there's no automatic overlap. But I think people you're bisexual and they feel like your sex life is more interesting than it is or like yes somehow more open or expansive than and we're attracted to everybody there is no you know nobody is exempt for our sexual energy <laughs> yeah yeah totally yeah it's it's wild and then there's also like this weird debate a lot of times that comes out about like well what does it mean to be bisexual versus pansexual and what like um, and so I guess the umbrella of bi plus really applies to anyone who is within the spectrum, right, between complete same sex attraction and complete opposite sex attraction, right? And so um, it was, there were so, so many people there. And I think there are so many more bi plus people than might be, you know, than someone might imagine, but we are a community and we're a diverse community and we're a vibrant community within, you know, these multiple other communities because we're at every age and stage yes. and demographic and gender identity and racial and ethnic um, identity. But the, but yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of kind of concealment and erasure of by identity. So, um, and you know, that too, I'm also biracial and I feel like that can, there can also be a lot of concealment and erasure there of biracial identity. So it's it's almost like anyone who's anywhere on the spectrum <laughs> between binaries is like somehow, I, I don't know, that it, it defies categorization. Therefore, it's hard for people to deal with. Yes, it seems like we need to have a clear label. Like it has to be just very so for everybody to feel comfortable about things. But in general, that's not life. That's not people. I mean, we're all fluid in one way or another, I believe. 
you know, I think that makes one of the beautiful things about being humankind. I, I really believe. And I think it's really freeing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think too, because I had a mother that came to me for therapy because her son came out as bisexual. And I was like, well, I'm so happy for your son to be able to love anybody. And I think when I said that to her, it was just like, oh yeah. You know, how, (laughs) how lucky he is to be able to love everybody. And, you know, that's why I think it's a gift of being able to be attracted and love and wanting to share everything with any gender. And I think it's just a wonderful experience. I think everybody should try it. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Yeah. I think anyone who has that yearning within their heart should not cut themselves off from that, I guess Mm -hmm. is what I would say, is that if someone... One of the worst forms of oppression there is, is the oppression that we perpetrate on ourselves, right? Like the things Mm -hmm. that we tell ourselves that we cannot do are not permissible to us and not because they would hurt anyone else, but because of our own sense of like who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to show up in the world. And I found, um, I really, you know, I have most of my life, and I think this is true of so many people, I'm not unique in this, but have walked around with the secret belief that I'm unlovable. And I think most people have that because of childhood wounds or different mm-hmm. things or whatever, right? There's like this fear of, oh my God, people won't love me. And, you know, the more secrets that we keep, the more that belief gets entrenched. And so I think that for me, something that has been really, really cool is the more honest I am about myself, my life, my desires, my thoughts, my fears, the more that like when people still love me, I'm always surprised, but it's such a, it it so breaks down that faulty belief that, oh, people aren't going to really love me if they know me, because then if I don't let them know me, I have no way of ever challenging that, that belief. Right. And then I start hating myself or I start feeling like a fraud. So I think one of the things that is really, is really beautiful about coming out is that it allows us to then find our tribe, you know, to find people that can love us exactly as we are. And until then, I think life can be really pretty excruciating. And do you feel that has come with age too, of just being like honest with yourself and others around you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's maybe age. I think some of it is I'm a hard learner. Like I really learn things the hard way. And I think that because I have such a self-destructive history, I'm incapable of being dishonest. Like when I'm dishonest, I go to really self-destructive places. And so I almost feel like I have to be honest in order to be in recovery and in order to be well and in order to function in the world. And so because I have to be honest, I am, but I found these tremendous miracles as a result of being honest. But, you know, if I could get away with not, I don't know. I still, I still always get like very afraid to share my truth, no matter how many times I do it, no matter how many situations I've spoken up in, like I'm always, a little bit hesitant to, and then I do, and I find, oh, I'm so glad I did that. But mm-hmm. you know, again, if I if I weren't a person with a eating disorder history and a person who has, you know, been in toxic relationships and those kinds of things, like I think I would probably still live life a little bit in hiding. But I just know that I can't do that. And now, when you say like you know, coming to realize like who you are and you know, what you 
allow yourself to do. Do you think that came into play when you left your high power job to become a writer? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, I was falling apart. I worked for a hedge fund actually. Um, and before that, I worked for a medical education company, both in in finance. And I I'm not a financial person. My mom's an accountant. She it's great for her. She loves it. It's who she is. But I was always, I always knew like I'm a you know, I'm a writer, I'm a I'm a sensitive person. I mean, I have like deep emotions and I I have these highs and lows, even, you know, when everything is going well, it's part of who I am. It's built into my DNA and I need to be expressive. I know your listeners can't see me right now, but I'm like talking with my hand, you know, I'm just an expressive person. So yeah, I mean, I think stifling that and putting the lid on myself, really, it, it led to me just getting worse and worse and worse with the eating disorder. And finally, when I went into treatment for the 18th time for anorexia and bulimia and came out, I just realized like, oh my, I can't go back to the same life. If I go back to the same life, I'll just fall into the same patterns. And so, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I always knew who I was and just needed to express it. Like I actually really have needed to go on this deep journey of self-exploration and therapy and, you know, spirituality and all these all these things. And I'm still on that journey and and who I am today, I hope is going to be different than who I am five years from now. Right. Like I, I would hope that I'm continuing to evolve and, and express myself in different ways and my wants and needs might change. But yeah, I definitely feel like a huge part of me beginning the process of self-exploration was knowing who I wasn't and knowing that I just wasn't going to do things that weren't true to me anymore. And I have not been perfect with that, like certainly, but I, I think I have a, like a shorter window in which I'll allow myself to tolerate being miserable or being in a situation that doesn't serve me and that isn't congruent with who I am. That's beautiful. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us because, you know, I think your story and your writing too, can, is really freeing and helping for other people. And I just want to take the moment to thank you for sharing all that with us. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I would hope that anyone who's listening and who has even just a spark of, you know, I really, I want to explore this part of myself, whether that's writing, whether that's art, whether that's music, whether that's gardening, like whatever it is, cooking, it it doesn't. Or sexuality. Yes. Sexuality. Yes. Yes. Lest I forget that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Someone, I think if there's just like a spark of something that kind of keeps tugging at you, I I really, I think it's just such a gift to explore that and to know too that exploring that doesn't need to shake up our in, internal etch-a-sketch. Like we can each explore at our own pace on our own times with the level of disclosure that works for us, right? Like, and, and so I think just being willing to explore and not shut ourselves off from that is so critical to finding our own meaning and purpose in life and finding a reason to get up in the morning and, you know, and to move forward even during difficult situations. So yeah, I really, you know, I hope that your listeners won't just hear my story and think like, oh, what a great story for her. You know, I think, I hope they'll find ways to apply it to themselves or to the people around them who, you know, sometimes outsiders can see, I'll just share that, like the people around me could see that, oh, Tara's so miserable and she's not, 
living her authentic life and she, you know, and she's a person who's lit up by writing and acting and being creative. And yet she's stuck in this dead, you know, in this job that's not her. And not that anybody could have forced me to make a change before I was ready. But I think part of why I was afraid to make that change is I thought people would judge me. And after I made that change, people around me were like, oh, thank God you finally saw it. You know, (laughs) finally are being you. And I, I wish, you know, there's no wishing away the past and my past happened exactly as it needed to. But if someone's listening to this and there's someone in their life who, you know, they can really see that that person's not inspired or, you know, lit up by their life. I think, I think it's such a gift that we can give those around us to just say, you know what, like, I want you to know that I really see the light in you and I want you to do anything that's going to allow that light to shine. Absolutely. Now you say that you offer coaching. I do. Yeah, I do. um, One-on-one coaching with people, everything from people who want to write a book who have never written a book before, or who maybe have written a book, but are stuck in the industry or trying to tap into their own creativity. So I do that, but I also do, I mean, in more of a general way, like life coaching, right? I think one of my um, brand tags labels is the transformational storyteller. And I believe that the stories that we tell ourselves and others have the power to shape our lives. And so often people will come to me and it has nothing to do with creativity, like on the surface, but they'll come to me and say, you know what, like, I'm just, I'm really struggling in my relationship or I'm really, you know, I don't know as a parent, I feel like I'm wrapping my whole identity around my kids and like, you know, can we work together to find some ways to shift that? And so, and so we do, and we do work that's geared towards supporting them becoming the characters that they want to be and the heroes of their own narrative. Nice. And where can people find information on your services? Oh, yeah. So they can contact me through my website, which is daraleeslyons.com. And I'll spell that because it's an unusual name. It's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. And there's a contact form on my website. And yeah, people can find all of my books there. They can you know, reach out to me for coaching, any, anything. I'm always happy to hear from people. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I am just so honored and privileged to have been able to speak with you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really great. I'm so appreciative. And I'm sure we will talk to you soon. So Chit Chatters, make sure you pick up a couple of her books. I have started reading some of hers and I got to tell you, they are fun and follow her on all her social media. Now, Are you out there coming out of that COVID hibernation thinking, what the hell am I going to be doing with the rest of my life now that some of the world has changed quite a bit over the past year? I have a solution for you. I have created this one-on-one transformational retreat here in Puerto Rico. Now, I have found that Puerto Rico has been very healing and transformative for me. And so I have created this program that is tailored to each specific client that comes down for them to be able to take the time and the experiences and feel inspired into finishing that project they've been working on, figuring out the shit that has been holding them back and how to move forward. 
or if you just need a container, the place where you get what you need, your food, some experience, and just have the space to just be, this is the retreat for you. So if you are even just a little bit interested in this, head over to my website, melissadasilva.com, and fill out the form so that we can chat and see if this would be the right fit for you. All right, everybody, until next time, keep loving each other and keep being amazing. Bye-bye.